0: Welcome back to Real Talk with Real People. My name is Dr. Caroline Bathea Jones, and my subject matter today is going to deal with the loss of a child. I believe that the worst thing that can happen to any parent is the loss of a child. So, this is going to be a subject that is hard to talk about. It is hard to talk about death, especially if the death involves a child, because for parents who have lost a child, the pain is
1: indescribable.
0: So I want you to stay tuned as we welcome my next guest, Miss Tia Robinson. She's going to tell us her story. She's going to share her journey with us. So welcome, Tia, to our show. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you
2: so much
0: for having me. Oh, thank you for coming um, because you're going to tell your story, right? Yes. Yeah. So we're going to give you the opportunity to share with us your story, share with us your journey, offer some advice to some of our listeners, um, offer some advice to um, me uh, and um, everyone who wants to get to know um, this story and and what it feels like to be a a, a part of, of your journey. Okay, so why don't we get started? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, I am a 41-year-old stay-at-home mom right now. Um, I have a, a 12-year-old who's going to be 13. Um, I actually lost a 23-year-old about four and a half years ago. I didn't know that. To childhood cancer. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, all right.
0: I thought she was younger. I'm sorry. I well, thought she, she was... she was
2: diagnosed at 15. Okay. And she okay. passed away at 23. Okay. Still a young woman. Still a young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, never really got a chance to do much because, you know, she was sick. So um, she had been going through some little medical issues, you know, like chronic nosebleeds. And um, they had diagnosed her with asthma when she was like around 14 and um, like a lot of gastro stuff. um They said she had acid reflux and just all these things that, you know, they said she had. All while she was growing up, though, all through her childhood. Uh, Right, while she was growing up. Um, And then we, you know, she started getting nebulized very often because they said she had asthma. So she's, you know, back and forth to the ER and, you know, getting nebulized. And this one particular day when she went to the emergency room, I was still at work. My mom actually had gone with her and... They nebulized her twice, and they never had, had to do that before. Now, how was old was one. she, just so to the sake of our audience? At how, that time, she was 15. She was 15. But up until the time she was 15,
0: she had been going back and forth to the doctor. Yeah,
2: and it would be like, you know, one breathing treatment, and then... Um, uh, they started giving her a uh, singular pills that they told her to take every day, and then she had some other breathing medicines that she okay. had to do at night. And
0: when was she... I just want, for the sake of everybody who's mm-hmm. listening, when was she first diagnosed with asthma? Because a lot of black children are diagnosed with asthma. I want to make yeah. sure that we... Talk about that a little bit. It was probably
2: like around 13 or 14. Okay. But prior say. to that,
0: she had been having issues too, She right? had been
2: having like little breathing issues. You know, mommy, I'm short of breath. But she was also, she played basketball. Okay. So, so it was okay. always, you know, oh, it's because she's an athlete. You okay. Know? So, All right. So then when they um, did the first nebulizing, it didn't seem to work. Okay. And they had to do another one. So they did that. And that one still didn't seem to do much. So um, my mother called me and she said, listen, I think you should come up here. And I said, I really can't, you know, like what's going on. I have so many patients to see. And she said, the, the nebulizing is not working. And you know, Tish is getting scared, and you really should come. So I said, okay,
0: okay, you said so many patients to see. Yeah. So I are a, are you a, a doctor?
2: A phlebotomist. Okay. <laughs> All right. Really yes.
0: Okay, is she a doctor? Uh, no, I'm okay. a phlebotomist. Okay. I've been
2: I've been uh, uh in the medical field um f- since ninety eight actually. Oh, okay. And okay. I um did inpatient uh sorry, in office phlebotomy. Okay. So I had the opportunity to work next to a lot of many different doctors, whether okay. it's a primary doctor, a specialist, a pediatrician so I have a little bit of knowledge, right. of, okay. you know, Yes. so um, I get up to the hospital and, you know, she's in the room and she's like, mommy, my side is hurting. And I'm like, well, how's your breathing? And she's like, you know, it's OK, but my side is hurting. So I'm like, all right. So the doctor comes in and the doctor says she has been complaining about her side. We really don't know, you know what it is, but. We're going to do an ultrasound just to see. Okay. She said, I don't think we're going to find anything, but because she's complaining, we got to do something. So they sent her for the ultrasound. We're in there. We're laughing and giggling having a grand old time. They did the ultrasound on the way back. The nurse says, make sure you get dressed, put on your clothes, you know, we're going to get the discharge papers and you're going to be discharged. Mm -hmm. So we're doing that. We're sitting on the edge of the bed waiting for the nurse to come with the papers and we see, you know, all the white coats coming down the hall, but- We're in an emergency room. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. you see this all the time. It probably was about 12 people. And they came into our room. 12 doctors came into your room. Yes. That was scary. Very, very. Um, Doctors, nurses, technicians, everything. Okay. And um, they said, no, you're not going anywhere. And I said, well, what's going on? They said, well, we found something on the ultrasound that looks like a sack of fluid. So... You know, me being a single mom, I'm like, listen, drain it, send it off to pathology. Let us go. I got to go to work tomorrow. You know, and the doctor says, no, we can't do that because we don't know if it's solid. So I'm like, solid. And she says, yeah, it may not be a sac of fluid. It just, it might be something else. So we're going to admit her mm-hmm. and we're going to do other tests. So, okay. So they did that, Um, we did more ultrasounds, we did x-rays, we did CAT scans, um, they did MRI, they did everything, everything, blood work, you name it, they did it. So they saw that it was a tumor, and that it was solid, and at that point they weren't really sure, you know, how to go about, they wanted to get a piece of it, like a, a, a biopsy. Right, right. And no, they, This
0: is in her lungs.
2: It was actually the first tumor was um, growing it was attached to her diaphragm her diaphragm and it okay. was growing up into her chest cavity, which is a part of why it was so missed okay because it wasn't protruding out it was growing up into soft tissue okay so and like her organs and things like that. so they were you know going back and forth each day on how to do you know get the sample they didn't know should we go in through the front can we go in through the side we probably would get a better piece if we went in through her back but it's so close to her spine so it was just a lot of you know worry
0: right right
2: um so finally they decided to do an ultrasound guided biopsy okay they gave her like a little twilight she did it in radiology it wasn't like an or procedure um And it was actually very quick. They did it very quick, and she was fine. Um, Waiting for that to come back, she's still tremendous amount of pain, having trouble breathing. They're still nebulizing, treating all her pre-existing conditions. And I'm sure she was scared, too, at at this time. Right. Yeah. So then we got uh, the pathology came back um, inconclusive, was not enough specimen. Okay. So now they're like, well, how can we do it again? we need to go in and get more specimen and maybe take more so that we can find out what this is so we'll know how to remove it. So in the midst of them trying to figure that out, the pain just became unbearable. She couldn't even stand up. Mm -hmm. And um, the team came in for the surgery. They said, we got to go in. We got to operate. We don't even know how to go in. We don't know how to even do the incision. You know, the the surgeon was very honest with me. He said, I'm not sure what I'm going to see. I'm not even sure how to go about getting in there. So he said it would be maybe about a two hour procedure, which turned into hours. Um, of course. And when they did the surgery, he came out with this picture and he said, this is what I just removed from your daughter. Five and five pound tumor. Humongous. It was huge. And had been growing for years. Had been growing for years. It had to have been for it to be five pounds. Wow. You know, I don't think it just grew overnight, you know. Right. So once they removed the tumor, all of her pre-existing situations were gone. No oh. more no more breathing issues, no more asthma, okay. no more acid reflux, no more any of those things. Um, so she recovered from the surgery very well. Um, she did like uh, three days in ICU and then she did like three days on the, the main floor and home we went. Okay. How was her spirits? Good? Great. Great. It was It was great. Cause she was in no more pain. She was in no more pain. The fresh out of surgery the very next day, you know, like they really get you up and moving, right. you know. And at first she was like, oh, my goodness, like, ma, like, I can't move. I can't do this. I can't, you know, and I'm like, you have to try Mm -hmm. And there was one nurse who was, she was so sweet. She said, listen, I don't mean to be harsh, but if I don't move her, Mm -hmm. it's going to be problematic later.
0: Of course. yes.
2: And so I understood that being in, you know, the medical field. field. So I I totally understood that. So I'm explaining it to her. Like, you just got to try. We could do it slow, but you have to do it. And she was grateful for that in the end, because because of that nurse, every single surgery, she was like up and moving okay, up and moving good so um, we get discharged from the hospital, thinking you know we're going on with our life, mm-hmm. you know surgery's over, tumor's removed, you're good. The day after Thanksgiving, we got a call now before they called with this, it was um, they kept sending it places the f- they Sent it to the pathology within the hospital. Mm -hmm. They did not know what it was. Then they sent it to uh, like a medical school. They didn't know what it was. They sent it all over. And every time they sent it back, the doctor would call and say, listen, we still don't have an answer yet as to what this is. So the day after Thanksgiving, they had an answer. And they called me and they said, you have to come in because we um, we have to start discussing treatment that... Includes chemotherapy. And so um, we go into the hospital, and they said that they had sent it to the Women's and Children's Hospital in Boston. Mm-hmm. That's who determined that it was something called rhabdomyosarcoma, which okay. is um, cancer of the connective tissue and muscle. And so they said that she had to do 46 weeks of chemotherapy. Um, which is four cycles. Mm -hmm. One cycle is about 11 or 12 weeks of treatment. Um, It was very harsh, very, very harsh, very rough, very hard, you know, um, just to watch that whole situation. Um, So that went on for 46 weeks. And she bounced back pretty well, even though, you know, she lost all her weight, lost her hair, you know, went through that whole thing. Right. Um, she kind of bounced back pretty quickly. Um, she was cancer free for a year, like a year and a half. Okay. Um, for it did return. She had another tumor. Now the tumor was kind of in the chest area, not in the diaphragm. It had kind of moved up. Okay. So she had that. Is
0: that, is that normal? Is being in the medical field
2: um, is that is that normal? Well, for the type that she has, um, okay. there's four different types. I can't really think right. of all the that's, names of them yeah. right now. But if you have them on the brain or the neck or the head, that's one type. If you have it on a limb, that's another type. If mm-hmm. you have it in the torso area, that's a different type, and that's the type that she had. Okay. Um. I mean, I they call it all rare you know when you have hospitals and hospitals and hospitals full of kids fighting this I don't see anything rare okay but when you look at cancer as a whole it is very rare for a child to have cancer you know what are
0: some of the causes do you know
2: I don't really know the cause. I have my suspicions. (laughs) You want to share your suspicions? (laughs) I definitely have my suspicions. Um, you know, we eat a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, they, they've been telling us for years and years and years not to drink the water. Um, my, my daughter did a lot of research on her own because mm-hmm. she didn't understand why she had this and not where to it drink came from. the water where where you lived or yeah, you like they say drink bottled water, like don't drink anything from the the tap, but the we tap. shower with it, we cook okay. with it, we yeah. do all these things with that water, you know, so I mean, it could be environmental, mm-hmm.
1: you mm-hmm.
2: know, uh, where my daughter went to school, like all around the school they were knocking down buildings that were there for 50, 60 years, and they're knocking these buildings down and they're disturbing the ground and they're digging and they're, you know, and then even in one part of her school, like there's a part of the school that's closed, like you can't even go there because of all the stuff growing in the ceiling. And the school is still, you know, so I have my suspicions. Okay, we'll we'll
0: leave it at that, but, you know.
2: (laughs) yeah so has, I, there,
0: has there been any other cases other than your daughter oh yes okay oh yes all right
2: um there was actually a, a young man because you look man. like
0: someone who will do their research oh yeah and oh, yeah.
2: uh yeah you look yeah you look savvy enough to there was a young man yeah. who had uh he didn't have what my daughter had he okay. had like a a kidney cancer a tumor on the kidney and you know when they found that it was like quickly he he was gone You know, it was very quick and sad to hear. And I just so happened to know the family. So I was in shock because I knew the kid. I watched the kid grow up. You know what I mean? So it was a shock to me. And then after that happened, it was my daughter, you know, and it's like it's, it's still it's just more and more kids that are coming up with these tumors. Now, years ago, it was leukemia. right right. now it's these tumors and nobody seems to know where these tumors are coming from you know and when I did call you know I called the city to to see about the environmental stuff and how can we find Mm -hmm. out and it was kind of brushed off you know they were like oh if that was the case you won't find out for about 15 to 20 years later that that was what caused you know whatever sadly that's true though so yeah
0: but you don't strike me as an individual who just let things roll off the back.
2: No, I do a lot of research. You strike me as someone who does. Yeah, and sometimes with the research that I do, it, it pushes me to do more research, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like I'll find out something in one area and it's like, okay, wait. Now that has developed more questions, so I have to go and research right. all of that. So, yeah, it, it does, definitely. I research a lot. I try to find out my own answers and not listen to what everybody says. I try to look things up and, right. you know. So
0: when they told you that another tumor mm-hmm. developed in her chest cavity, mm-hmm. what was the procedure after that? They went in again to same remove
2: thing. it? Same thing, yep. Same thing. Um, surgery, chemo. Mm-hmm. Not the same type of chemo that she had not the same type of chemo because they say once you take a chemo your body kind of builds a resistant to it so you have to take something different maybe a little stronger a different drug okay. so she didn't take the same drugs um she took the same drugs for the side effects because it's all the same side effects okay um what are some of those side effects uh the nausea is like the worst the metal taste is another situation mm-hmm. Um, my daughter had neuropathy where she we would be in the supermarket and she would walk right out her shoes didn't even know she walked out of her shoes because she really literally couldn't feel the bottom of her feet Hmm. you know from the chemotherapy and there's tons of medication for it you know they give you Mm -hmm. so much stuff so she had the neuropathy she had the nausea she had you know the vomiting she had the metal taste um of course the hair loss the mm-hmm. weight loss the mood swings the anger like all of those are side effects right and there's a pill for everything with more side effects with more side effects mm-hmm. yes yes <sighs> so you know and That's pretty much what was our life you know pill after pill you know um. so once the cancer came back the the second time she did have surgery they removed it she uh, was on chemo um, not as intense as the first one like not as often it was like a little more spread out like Mm -hmm. she used to do it every week like six weeks a week off and six weeks so it wasn't that intense Um, but while she was on the chemo after the surgery the tumor grew back actively on treatment. So at that point, we're like, okay, you guys are saying that the chemo is supposed to stop this thing. She's taking the chemo. The tumor was removed, and another one grew while she was taking, while the, chemo. She was taking the chemo. So they said that that was because she never had radiation. So what we're gonna do is we'll stop the chemo, which they really did not wanna do. We'll stop the chemo. We'll talk to the surgeon, have this thing removed, but at that point it was very small. Mm -hmm. So the surgeon is like, well, unfortunately, we're either gonna try to shrink it with the radiation or we're just gonna wait and let it get a little bigger before we do surgery because that's how small it was. But she felt it. She felt it. She knew something wasn't right. And so we did that. You know, we did the radiation and, you know, surgery and, back on chemo again and there it was it came back again and this time it was a little further up in the chest now she had a cyst when she was two
1: Mm
2: -hmm. um they removed that cyst um when she came out of surgery she did like a, they called it pooling like her chest started to kind of blow up and like the blood was collecting on the inside so she had to go back in so that they could drain that and find out what was bleeding in there and you know take care of all of that Um, the same thing happened, the same thing happened in the end with the last surgery. Um, she started pooling in, in the chest area around the heart. Um, and they really, they had to rush her out of ICU for emergency surgery. And the doctor said, you know, I'm going to, um, put her to sleep. I'm going to have her on a breathing machine when she comes out because she needs to stay still and she needs to rest. So. That was very scary to see, mm-hmm. you know, her being pushed back in the room with this machine and all these tubes and all this stuff coming out of her. And um, so with that being said, it makes me question what was that when she was two? Because they always say cancer goes back to its original place. She, so she had a cyst in that area when she was two. Yes. They removed it? They removed it. It came back subcutaneous cyst but this was in 94. Hmm. So the technology that we have now, we certainly did not have in 94. Um, Did they even check it for cancer? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Very scary. Oh, yes. Very
0: scary thought.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, I look at the flip side of that too, and I say, okay, well, Tia, if that was cancer at two, and she went through seven years of what she went through at 15, Mm -hmm. She would have been nine when she left here.
1: Mm.
2: So, I thank God I had her for twenty-three years. Yeah, you know. So, it's not fun, you know. It, it's no. it, you know, but you are incredibly
0: strong, though. As I sit here and listen to your story, my heart is breaking, and I feel choked up. And I look at this this beautiful woman sitting across <laughs> from thank me, you. who see you. You appear like you. Have so much under control. I don't even know if I could even.
2: I I feel teary-eyed myself right mm-hmm. now. I'm gonna tell you how. Um, my brother, me and my brother are like we should have been twins. I'm telling you, we should have been twins. Um, he came out from California, um, getting towards the end, and um, after my daughter passed, and we you know had the services and everything, because you know she planned everything. She did every, planned everything herself.
1: Okay, Um, strong like her mother.
2: Yeah, she really was, Uh, and she was a jokester about it too. Um, As my brother, you know, I'm taking him to the airport, he gets out the car, we go inside, he's about to board the plane, he said, listen, sister girl, and this is where I get teary-eyed because this is really what, you know, keeps me grounded. You know, he said to me, he said, listen, it's okay to cry, it's okay to jump up and down, it's okay to roll on the floor, and all of that. He said, but do not let it consume you because no matter what you do, she is not coming back and you have to keep going. So when I get, you know, to those moments where I'm crying and I'm angry and I I just hear my brother's voice and I have to say it's only for a moment. You know, I have to get it out that moment and then I have to pull myself together and keep it moving not to say that there aren't days where I don't want to get out the bed because I have those days too where I'm like you know what I'm not moving I'm not going anywhere I'm not answering my phone but I can't let it consume me you know I give myself two days and a lot of times it doesn't even last that long you know and then I just keep moving something else will come that'll you know ignite me and I'm like excited like okay well let me do this let me focus on that so you know it's not an easy journey it's good days bad days happy days sad days
0: right you are truly a very strong you know you're stronger than you think you're not giving yourself enough credit <laughs> I'm I'm sitting here and I'm I'm watching you you're not giving yourself enough credit I just want to say that thank you, I you want. Are <laughs> so you had some help um in the process when she had to stay in the hospital mm-hmm. um I can imagine it was costly oh yes and, um, um
2: well, I had great insurance. Okay. Um, my grandmother taught me that. Okay. <laughs> I remember when I got my first package from the job for insurance and I brought it home to grandma and I said, I can't pay for this. I'm not paying for this. This is every two weeks. You know, and she said to me, she said, it doesn't matter if you get the cheapest one or if you get the most expensive one, you're still going to pay the same amount of money in insurance a year. You know, the cheapest one, you're just gonna come out of your pocket more and you're gonna feel like you don't have insurance. Mm-hmm. She said, pay for the biggest one, you worry about your deductible and then everything else is covered. And she was right, she was right. Um So yes, I I had deductible to meet, which okay. was very easy to meet when you have a sick child. Yes. yes, Um And once that deductible is met, everything is pretty much taken care of. Okay, great. Um, but during, during the process you know these people doctors are human they're Mm -hmm. human Mm -hmm. it's political unfortunately Mm -hmm. it's very political and it did get to the point where certain doctors weren't participating anymore with her insurance okay and it was either you go someplace else (laughs) you see somebody else or you switch your insurance okay So we played the switching of the insurance game for a while, Mm -hmm. back and forth, because I didn't know what else to do. You Mm -hmm. know, I knew she had been there for a few years. She was comfortable. I was comfortable, you know, with her treatment. So it's like I don't want to take her from here to someplace else. Okay. So we did the switching of the insurance for a a few years. But then, you know, I'm remembering the things that I did on my job for patients, you know, fighting the insurance company Mm -hmm. and getting them to pay this and getting them to pay that. And I'm like, wait a minute. I can do this for myself you know Mm -hmm. I need to do this for her so when it got time for her to have um, the surgery before the last that surgeon was no longer affiliated well he was not that he wasn't affiliated he wasn't affiliated with the clinic he was still affiliated with the hospital but not with the clinic okay so they didn't want me to use him Okay They said, "No, you can't use him. You have to use this other doctor who came in, you know, they give you the sun, the star, and the moon, you know oh, they're wonderful, they're fabulous. And I said, "No, nah, I don't think you know we're going to do that. you know, Tish is not comfortable with this doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, before Tish got treatment, surgery, anything, she researched these doctors like like she was about to give them a job well, it for looks real. Like
0: <laughs> i I can see this running in the family, and I can see it starting with your grandmother. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you're some smart, some smart young ladies here. Yeah. And she and it was so funny because when they told her who the new surgeon was, Mm -hmm. she took her old surgeon's bio Mm -hmm. and she put it next to the new surgeon's bio and put it on Facebook and said, who would you guys choose? Wow. The surgeon that she wanted, his bio was two and a half pages. Mm -hmm. So she's like, he has more experience. Excuse me. He has more, you know, so she was more comfortable with him.
0: Okay. And he had been her doctor
2: for years. Okay. From the very beginning, from the very beginning. And he was such a great man. You know, Tish, when she had that first surgery, when she was two, Mm -hmm. she keloid. Mm -hmm. And she was very concerned about that. And she Mm -hmm. said to the surgeon, listen, however you cut me, I'm going to have a huge, ugly scar. And he said, don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. So after every surgery, he performed plastic surgery on her to make sure that she didn't didn't scar most doctors won't do that yes they'll have you come back and say okay you gotta you know do that separate and it's not covered by insurance right um so you know she chose him and because he wasn't affiliated with the clinic made him not affiliated with the insurance anymore okay so he would have been out Out of of network. network yes right so i'm like wow what am i gonna do so the office manager, we had developed a relationship because I'm always on the phone with them, mm-hmm. you know, scheduled appointments, getting pathology reports, and so on and so forth. So I said to her, what can I do? She said, only thing that we could do is just let him do the surgery, and we just have to fight. We gotta fight the insurance company to get him paid. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I said, I'll help. But You get denied, send me the letter, I'll write a, um, you know, and I'll send it in, and you know, we will appeal it. And that's what I did. And the insurance companies are trained to deny the patient Mm -hmm. three times. They're trained to do that. They're trained to deny the doctor five times. Okay. So most people won't fight that more. Mm -hmm. So what I ended up doing was the very first denial that was given to me, I wrote a very lengthy letter speaking about the doctor, speaking about the treatment, why it was important that he stayed her doctor, you know, Mm -hmm. just everything. They still denied it. I took the same letter. I only wrote a letter one time. Mm -hmm. I took the same letter. I changed the date, and I sent it in again. I did that three times, Mm -hmm. and they paid him. Look at you. And I had to do it every time. We're going to learn a lot from (laughs) you today.
0: I I really feel like you're going to teach us a lot today.
2: It you it, it's work, but yeah. people think that they have to really sit down and examine this letter, pick it apart, answer each paragraph, one letter 9 times out of 10, they're not reading it. Mm. They just want to see that you're fighting. Okay. You know, they deny it, you appeal it. Okay, they appealed it once, so we got to deny it again. Mm-hmm. They deny it again. You appeal it again. Okay, they appealed it again. You know, so we let's give her another denial. Mm-hmm. When you send that third de- denial in, they got to pay. They okay. have to pay. Okay. And they paid him. And what is bothersome to the insurance company is now because he's out of network, mm-hmm. you have to pay him the full benefit. Right. And that's what they don't want to do.
0: Now, if they paid him once, mm-hmm. um, is that like a, a precedent? So if... If it would have
2: happened again, they would have had to pay him the second time, or no, you still have to go through that fight. To go you still have fight. to yep. fight it every single yep. time. Every single time, okay. because he's not in network. Okay. So every single time he did anything to her, okay, I you, you had know, to fight. I had to fight. Okay, I had to fight. And the office manager said to me, "She's like, wow, I wish everybody was like you because you really take such a load off of me."
0: Uh, well <laughs> I w- I just wish everybody was as interested in their self. The way you are mm-hmm. to fight for their selves mm-hmm. and their children and their anything mm-hmm. the way you have. Yeah, she was. Constable. That's a testament all by itself. Mm-hmm. Your fight. You have a, a fighting spirit that I
2: so admire right now. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, y- you know, it was it was definitely a fight. But again, like I said, it was the same letter. I never wrote the letter. I wrote it one time. But you were persistent. Mm-hmm. I would just change yes. the date and, and mail it and fax it okay mail it and fax it every single time okay and they would send the denial to the doctor first and she would call me and i would look for my denial Mm -hmm. and i would tell her don't worry about it i got it i'm already what date do you have and i would date my letter off of hers and i would send it out before i even got mine and that that's how it happened all right so what happened next after that um so much happened (laughs) Uh well as far as um the the doctors and you know the chemo and the surgeon um when they said that they couldn't do anything else for her mm-hmm. um it kind of became like a blame game um you mean the doctors blaming oh yeah. each other Oh yeah well even with the with the doctor not Being affiliated with the clinic anymore Mm -hmm, mm Like that became a blame game too You know like oh you can't use him He's incompetent He's not this he's not that But he was God Mm -hmm. In the very beginning Mm -hmm. You know he was everything Oh he's wonderful he's great He's the best that we have And he's this and he's that And which he really was Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. when he When my brother came from California He walked up to the doctor He said listen I'm the overprotective uncle and I don't play with my niece. And the doctor said, great, because I'm the overprotective doctor, and I look at her as my daughter. Okay. And he was—he really treated us as as that, you okay. know. So, I mean, so much went on. Mm. <laughs> so much, so much, so much. We definitely had um, help from the fund, too, because there were some... Things like, you know, that are out of network and some things that just weren't covered. Like I had medications that weren't covered. Um, mm-hmm. When she started really having the problem in her feet, she went from 300 milligrams of Neurontin for her neuropathy to 600 milligrams.
1: Mm.
2: And every milligram is
1: $100. Okay.
2: So that was like a $600, yeah. you know, and it was like, well, how am I supposed to handle that? Mm-hmm. So it turned around that, okay, well, you can't get it from the hospital. Mm -hmm. If you get it maybe from a pharmacy, it'll be cheaper than getting it from the hospital. The pharmacies didn't carry that. So it was, okay, well, you have to call your insurance Mm -hmm. and you may have to get it through specialty. Mm -hmm. So we had to do that. You know, we were getting it through specialty, which was a $75 copay through my insurance versus $600 through the private, you know, um, like a CVS or something like that. Um, so I had to deal with that. Um, then there came a time where the pharmacy didn't take her insurance at all okay. at the hospital. So I couldn't get any of her meds from the hospital. Being inpatient, I had to run to the pharmacy down the street to get her medication to bring it back. Did that a couple of times, but then I said, you know what, this makes absolutely no sense. Somebody is going to have to do something because I'm leaving her here to go to the pharmacy, mm-hmm. to stand online, to get the medicine, to come back, to get it to whoever, whatever department here, then back upstairs with her. That's taking too much time away from her, and I feel like I'm doing too many other people's jobs. Right. You know? So, the fund said, we'll handle it.
0: Okay, the fund, can you tell us about the fund? Yes, the fund,
2: the fund is, um, it's called the Tomorrow's Children's Fund. Uh, every hospital has a fund. Okay. Every hospital.
0: Every hospital.
2: Every hospital has a fund. Okay. Okay. For this particular fund, they um, help people get back and forth to the hospital because mm. people come from all over okay. to have treatment there. It's, it's a children's hospital. Um, they took up some of the costs for Letitia's medication when, you know, it wasn't covered by insurance. They would give me gift cards okay. to pay for it. Um, they pay a lot of your bills for you. Um, They kept us afloat probably for about three years out of her illness because, you know, things get tight. Things get tough. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not working. I had exhausted all of my funds from wherever they were. Um, So now you just have job protection with no money. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, they they paid the rent. They pay the PSE and G bills. They do a lot of different things for the kids like they for their birthdays, because a lot of them spend their birthdays in their holidays and all types of things. So they try to make it as normal as, as possible. possible, you yeah. know. So the fund is very, very important. Mm-hmm. I've had so many people come to me and say, you know, wow, since your daughter got diagnosed, you know, I've been donating to the American Cancer Society. I want to help. Okay. I'm not to talk bad about any society or any fund or anything like that. But if you really want to help someone that you know is ill, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: donate to the hospital they're being treated at. Okay.
0: Because through the hospital's fund. fund, Right. Okay.
2: Because. Great information. The funds is what really helps the patients. Right. You know, but if people don't donate, they can't help okay you okay. know and, and that's how can, where
0: we are how can they donate to the um to the children's fund the tomorrow's children children's fund, fund.
2: um it's at the hackensack hospital okay and it's just called tomorrow's children you okay. know tcf tomorrow's children's fund uh the lady's name is nan you can just call you know the main number at the hospital and ask for tomorrow's children and you want to make a donation and they will take your information and they will mail you something and it'll explain to you what your money is going to be used okay. for. Okay. Um, I think like about $50 they say is for a child's birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, I think they have a slot for $5,000, which is for um, like sending a child on a trip mm-hmm. or, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. they work very closely with the make a wish foundation. Right. Okay. Um. And also, there's another fund called the J Fund who graciously donates to Tomorrow's Children, Mm -hmm. along with the Jillian Fund who also graciously donates to Tomorrow's Children. And these are parents of kids who have passed away due to cancer,
1: right?
2: Um, And they were treated there, so they they're giving back to. We'll put the
0: information on the site okay. so that um, anybody who wants to make a donation can do so. Yes,
2: yes, because it's very important, yeah. you know, because there were times that I would go to the fund for whatever, and, and, and it was empty. It's like, we, 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 don't, we don't we don't have it. We can't do right. it, you right. know. So it's tough, you know. It's tough. And I, I would even see so many kids there alone, mm-hmm. you know, because... So um, you can volunteer to... Um <sighs> Not in two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> oh, Okay, I, I'm just tr-
0: I'm trying to cover all the bases um, for anybody who wants to help.
2: You know, it's so much HIPAA stuff, and okay. it's so much. So they really don't let people in. Okay. Um, but I'm sure if you volunteer through the hospital, you may can get to that particular side. But again, it's our children, right. so they're right. very, 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 very protective. Yes, obviously. very yes, protective. Yes, a lot yes. of security. You know you you really you can't get up in there
0: <laughs> no and and that makes perfect sense i I guess um in the moment, I'm thinking a child alone in um this condition is is not the most idea right <clears> Haven't <throat> all of us need someone around us when we're not feeling good, so right. to imagine that
2: there's a child that might be, be right and I've seen it yeah, I've seen it, but you know in some situations. You have the single parent, excuse me, who has to work, who doesn't have any help, doesn't have anybody, you know, and I saw it a lot, you know what I mean? I saw it a lot. It's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And when I saw those situations, I made sure that I would speak to the parent, you know, listen, when you're not here, whatever your son or daughter needs, you know, and that's how you make friends there. Right, right. I'm pretty sure there must be a network of parents that come together. There are. um, There are. Um, But sometimes, you know, they used to have like a, um, they had like a group Mm -hmm. for the parents. Mm -hmm. It was once a week. All the parents can come down. They would order food. And we would sit and we would talk and kind of exchange, you know, stories of what was going on with your child. What does your child have? What were you diagnosed with? What's the form of treatment for your child? And we would talk about that. And... It got to the point where I think we were sharing a little bit too much with each other. Okay. And they stopped it. (laughs) Mm. Okay. (laughs) So... Yeah, I mean, it would be great if we had a room, a place, right. but um, because some people, some parents don't want to talk about it. Right, right, right. You it's, know? it's a hard subject. Yes, because yes, I've had it parents is a hard that subject. didn't even want me in their room. Like, listen, I'm just going to go buy a newspaper. Do you want a newspaper? And they're like, no, 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 I'm fine. So some people don't want to be bothered with it because they don't know what to say, what to do. They're scared. They're upset. They're, you know, And they're alone.
0: The grieving process is
2: um, very
0: difficult because you start, even though you shouldn't start that process, you know, while Mm -hmm. the child is sick. Mm -hmm. But I think when I say grieving, I'm not talking grieving where death is concerned, but just a grieving that your child is sick. Right. There's something very heartbreaking for a parent to watch Mm -hmm. their child in any kind of discomfort. Yeah, and yeah. I just I just know that sometimes you can shut down,
2: mm-hmm. and they yeah. do. Um, I, I'm I'm sure that I did. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I had one person uh, that was that was definitely by my side from the beginning, and even to this day. Okay, you know she's still there, and that that's Reverend Gwenny Burt, and okay. she has definitely been the angel sent by God I'm telling you because so many times we want certain people we Mm -hmm. feel certain people Mm -hmm. should be there Mm -hmm. you know um but I'm going to tell you when they say you know who your friends and your family are Mm -hmm. when something goes wrong that is a very true statement because like everybody just kind of walked away I think it's hard for people to be
0: in the presence of yes Mm-hmm. of individuals who are going through things mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you're going through right. if you're going through a hardship
1: mm-hmm.
0: you kind of don't know what to say to that person right. you kind of don't know what's the appropriate mm-hmm. um what's the appropriate conversation mm-hmm. what's the appropriate response mm-hmm. let's talk about that for a little while because i, think, I appropriate think that's important response
2: is just being honest listen i don't know what to say okay. i don't know what to do but i just want you to know that i'm here you okay. know whatever you may need if you need to talk you need to cry you need to just go for a ride you need to go grab a bite I'm here I, I you tell me what you need okay but if people don't say that and they just kind of skate off and disappear you know that person is felt you, they're just left alone so it's like okay was that really my friend you know is that really my family member like they don't even call to see if I'm okay they know what's going on you know they right. don't send a card they don't cook a, a, a cake nothing so you know. it's okay to say,
0: "Hey, I don't know Absolutely. exactly what I
2: can do." Absolutely.
0: But whatever you need me to Absolutely. do. Absolutely.
2: And and say you don't even know what to say because, because some you people don't. say crazy stuff too because you don't know right. what to say. So just make that clear. I don't know what to say. Okay. But I want to be here for you. I don't even know what to give you. I don't know what to do, but I want to be here for even if it's just me sitting there because sometimes uh, Reverend Burt would come and she would just be present. Mm -hmm. she didn't always say anything she didn't always do anything she was just there and sometimes just being there means more than anything okay you know what I mean and I don't know it was like God would tap her on the shoulder and say okay in about an hour and a half Tish gonna be in ER go there because when we got there she was there and I'm like who called her how does she know you know we were here so sometimes just being there is all a person needs okay just to be there Just show up. Just be there. Just be there. Sometimes even in silence. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because then it makes, it it made me feel like I wasn't alone and that I did have somebody to turn to, even Mm -hmm. though in the beginning I was like, where did she come from? You know, Mm -hmm. I I didn't even, we didn't even have a relationship like that, Mm -hmm. you know, but God sent her there and, and she was a fixture there for the whole time, for the whole time. And she helped calm me down she helped you know well remember you said you wanted to ask the doctor this or remember this happened and you know so stuff like that is important okay it's very important and what about your
0: family not in a sense of I know your family cares but this didn't just affect you Mm -hmm. it affected your family it affected your mom it affected your daughter it affected your your
2: brother it affects a whole yeah lot of people well family was very distant as well this is why my brother came from california because he knew that nobody was there so he out of fear
0: out of not knowing what to say not knowing how to approach i mean i don't i don't want to i never want to demonize people because mm-hmm. it is it is difficult sometimes for people to to respond in a way that that people mm-hmm. w- want you to respond a lot of it has to do with fear a mm-hmm. lot of it has to do with I I don't know how I can help. I mm-hmm. don't want to deal with it myself because mm-hmm. this is a, it, this is their loss too.
2: Right. Well, it was said to me. You know, I don't I don't know what to do or say. Um, but what really bothered me the most was I can't stand to see her like that. And probably a true statement. It is a true statement. Um, but I, I said to the person. I can't stand to see her like that either mm. so but I have to be there because that's my daughter you know and just like my daughter needs me mm-hmm. I need you you know and yeah. still you know it, it just it didn't register to that person because they still you know kind of was a distance was afar, far or you know whatever so that's why I had um, you know I had said before um, don't try to plan who you want to be with you through your journey, because God is going to send you who you need to have. Okay. Because the ones you think are going to be there the ones you think that you need. Mm -hmm. No. So, yeah, I really thought that my family would really be by my side, you know, during this whole journey, especially since they're here, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but no oh
0: no okay well what advice do you give to family members even now um, because I think even now sometimes we forget that that individual still needs us even today even now even if it's been 5 years even if it's been mm-hmm. 10 years what What advice do you give to family members who may be thinking okay it's, some time has gone by um, she's fine now or there's nothing I can do now because y- you're not the only family that has mm-hmm. gone through this, mm-hmm. so I'm speaking to the families outside of this walls that we're in here right mm-hmm. now that may be also going through a situation where they felt alienated mm-hmm. from their family. It's not too late, right It's never too late to heal those wounds right um so what advice do you have to to families now
2: well i I will say this um, losing a child is probably the worst. <laughs> You know, I mean, my mom is still walking around, so I don't know what it's like to lose a mom. My grandmother is still walking around. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like, but I do know what it's like to lose a child. And that's probably something that a mother will never get over. Um, We just learn how to deal with it every day. As far as what can a family member do, don't ever suggest that they should be over it. Okay. Um, don't ever think that enough time has gone by. Because in May, it'll be five years for me that my daughter's been gone. And I still dream of her funeral. I still see her laying in ICU. Mm-hmm. I still, you know, see her <clears throat> sitting on the couch crying, asking God Why? You know, it's so many different things that I still see every day. Mm-hmm. And just like as if the child was here going through the, the chemotherapy and the treatment, just like, you know, you can say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, but I'm here. It's the same thing. Okay. You know, it's the same thing. I don't know what you need, but just know whatever. I'm here. Call me, you know, text me, come to my house, whatever. You want me to come over and just talk, whatever you know, any type of help or, and I don't mean like financial and like, you know, know. just anything, you know, listen, can I, can I bring you a meal? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, can I, can I take your daughter for a little while? Can, can she go to the movies with my daughter? You know, something like that, just to kind of give you a peace of mind a little bit, kind of gather your thoughts, right? Because life does still go on. Yes. But many of us are stuck. Like I have a mom right now who her daughter passed away seven months after my daughter. She's still stuck. Her daughter was 10 when she passed away. Mm. And she didn't even have cancer. She had a form of anemia that they treated with chemotherapy. That's a subject I like to talk
0: about if we can briefly talk about that for a minute. Sure. I had a conversation with you, so you know that I also was treated with um, Lupron, which is Mm -hmm. a, um, Mm -hmm. what is it, a prostate cancer drug? It's a drug drug. for prostate
2: cancer, yes.
0: Right. Um, I have fibroids, and Mm -hmm. they gave me that drug. I had the three shots for Mm -hmm. three months, and it was the most devastating three months of my life. That was in 2011. It is 2019, and I am still Mm -hmm. suffering the side effects of that drug. Mm -hmm still don't know what's in store for me to be quite honest with Mm -hmm. you every time I turn around something else is starting up right
2: why do they do that (laughs) well unfortunately it ain't about you
0: (laughs) somehow I didn't think it was about me but
2: um you know why do they do that (coughs) it's about the money
0: now Okay, we we might be getting into some shaky ground right here, Mm -hmm. but I'm a rebel like you. Mm -hmm. So, they work in cahoots with the pharmaceutical companies. Absolutely. So, if the pharmaceutical company says, we want you to Mm -hmm. to push this, push this, push this, they push this Mm -hmm. without any kind of Mm -hmm. thought. No, none at all. Wow. None at all. Yeah, I kind of knew that. Mm -hmm. And I kind of... I felt some kind of way after I took myself off it. Mm-hmm. My doctor still Oh they would have you it forever. She still wasn't mm-hmm. trying to take me off this drug. So
1: let but me like
0: ask you, you, I did my research yeah. after I was trying to figure out what was going on mm-hmm. with me and saw all this
2: stuff. stuff yeah. And I took myself mm-hmm. off of the drug. The saying goes: why bill your insurance, Why cure you and bill your insurance once? When we can treat you for the rest of your life and bill your insurance. Hmm. That's the way it goes. If they cure you, you're never coming back. So just imagine if a doctor had a practice of 50 patients and every last one of those patients he cured. He no longer has a practice now. Because who's coming to him? Nobody. You cured everybody. But isn't that your role and your purpose? Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, your role and your purpose is to cure people.
2: Yes, it is. Back in, let's say, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, maybe 80s. But it's different now. It's different now. It's all pharmaceutical. It's all about business. It's all political. You know what I mean? And and it's it's all about the money. You know, like even where... You know, some of these hospitals, the more property and things they, they build up and they add on, mm-hmm. you know, the less insurance they take.
0: But tell me how they can get away with giving a, she was 10 years old, this um, child? Yeah, she passed away at 10.
2: Um, anemia
0: is not a disease itself, am I correct? It is, it it's, is a a blood s- disorder. it's a symptom mm-hmm. of, of something.
2: It's a blood disorder. It's a, a low count of of your blood cells, like the white blood cells or red blood cells, depending on what type it is.
0: Right. Um, but it's it's not it's a symptom like okay I've had anemia all of my life mm-hmm. but I have beta thalassemia which mm-hmm. is the cause of the anemia mm-hmm. because of the white blood cells so um, anemia in itself means that there's something else wrong right, right? right. Mm-hmm.
2: anemia in itself is not a disease no it's it's what they call it because it's something else going on like she right. had I think it's called ischemic um, anemia. Okay. Um, but her father also had it, you know, and it, uh, it was just like a very low blood count. Okay. And even when they gave her blood, it's still, you know, and, and it, it just, her counts never stayed up. So they started even dealing with her bone marrow. You know, they said, oh, it could be something with the bone marrow. She had a bone marrow transplant and all this stuff. And but why chemotherapy? What does chemotherapy do
0: for anemia? That's what I'm trying to find out.
2: Well, I guess they feel like because the chemotherapy destroys everything, maybe if it destroyed everything. Yeah, but it also destroys good cells, too, Oh, yeah, absolutely. It. Absolutely. It destroys everything. And they feel like kids are resilient, that they will bounce back. You know, they feel like kids are stronger and their blood and stuff will build up stronger and better. Now... With my daughter, I actually, in the beginning, I felt that that could have been true because she was bouncing back like this from major surgeries, major treatment. And she and the nurses were like, wow, she she don't want to be here. She's up. She's walking around. She's doing this. She's doing that. So it's the money, honey. (laughs) the money honey it's the money and I mean I'm glad that we're talking about this because yeah, when I say with the bone marrow um this is going to bring me into how important it is to be involved in studies okay um okay,
0: okay. studies that
2: like the, the, clinical, the trials clinical trials and okay. things like that okay um, so you think
0: it's a good idea to be involved especially in those. for us okay especially for us because okay. we don't do it right that's why I'm a little bit shocked. <laughs> you see the shock look on my face, right? Because we don't do it. We don't we're do affra- it. But we're afraid. All, but in all fairness, yeah, yeah, you can understand why Black people are afraid I to do. be involved in clinical trials. I do. We have a history of mm. them not going so well for us. But you're sitting here, you're saying that you think it's a good idea. I think.
2: Tell that me why it is, and the reason I'm going to say why, um, when they introduced us to the study. Mm-hmm you know I asked them why should we be in